0: Thank you very much, Raquel. Today we are in the book of Jude, verses 16 through 19 today. And he is continuing to describe these uh, men who have crept into the church and whose condemnation, they are ungodly men. Condemnation has been... a prophesied long ago, and now they are in the midst of the church, uh, says Jude. And, of course, we can say the same thing today. So let's learn a little bit more about how uh, these people act and then how also we can respond to these things. Verse 16 of Jude says these are murmurers, complainers, Walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own godly ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions not having the spirit. This is a reading of the word of the living God. May we give, give heed and receive that word by faith. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you have spoken. And Lord, these words are your words. And we pray that they will come in power to our hearts. They would inform our minds and they would fill us, Lord, with... Uh, a new perspective, uh, or perhaps an old perspective, Lord, that needs to be renewed in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We left off last week in verses 14 to to 15, uh, where Jude mentions an obscure prophecy by Enoch about the second coming of Christ, that Christ is coming back and one... One reason that he's coming back and one thing he will do with certainty is he's going to execute judgment on these ungodly men that he's been talking about in this book. Uh, He is going to judge them because they're ungodly in their ways, their words, and their deeds. So now as we pick up in verses 16 to 19, Jude is further describing the character of these individuals and the behavior, and, and, and what we should think about them, um, and when you survey, when you, when we survey the history of the church, uh, and we look at trends in the ancient and then modern church, what do we find? One thing we find, sadly, is a tendency, I believe, uh, toward spiritual and doctrinal decline. Uh, inevitably churches denominations institutions and often individuals of course uh, who st- seem to start out well start out strong in the faith over time uh, drift from that and and show and evidence decline and history bears witness to this that that over time uh, we tend to drift from firm uh, Biblical faith and conviction to unsound, man-pleasing doctrine and worship. And, and, and like I said, we see that trend in churches often. Uh, we see it in denominations and Christian schools, universities, seminaries. And we might ask, why is this so? Obviously, there are exceptions that we can thank God for. Uh, you yourself... Uh, if you're walking with the Lord, if you're growing in Christ, you're you are uh, you're not doing what I've just described. But we're all in danger of that if we, if we don't take heed to ourselves. But what are some of the reasons for these undeniable trends in, in the church and in Christian institutions? Well, there's a number of reasons, I'm, I'm sure. But in, in, one thing is uh, in Table Talk magazine, the author uh, of an article that I read, this week, he makes this point that the slow drift away from the faith once delivered to the saints happens largely because the people of God are often unprepared to confront false teachers who come into their midst. Okay. Uh, often we are too trusting, uh, too gullible, too nice, and also not knowledgeable enough to really deal firmly with false teaching and false teachers in the church. Um, However, uh, the the reason behind uh, the false teaching uh, to start with, why are there false teachers in the church? Why do people come uh, into the church and begin to uh, teach things that are not according to Scripture and live in ways that that deny the gospel, and so on. Well, and and, and then that leads to the decline of the church. Well, the reason, the main reason is, is that we allow men and women to both join the church and particularly we allow men and women uh, into positions of leadership who do not have the Holy Spirit. They are without the Holy Spirit. This is a great and dire uh, danger for the church of Christ through the centuries, and still is today. Uh, in the 18th century, during the time of the Great Awakening in this country, uh, there was a Presbyterian minister named Gilbert Tennant. And uh, he created uh, quite a stir when he preached a sermon in 1740 titled The Danger of an Unconverted Ministry. And, of course, everybody thought that he was aiming at them, you know, accusing every pastor, every preacher thought, well, he's he's telling me I don't know the Lord. Well, some of them, uh, many of them did not. But he was preaching on the danger of an unconverted minister. And he began his sermon with these words. He said, as a faithful ministry is a great ornament, blessing and comfort to the church of God, even uh, the feet of such messengers being beautiful So, on the contrary, an ungodly ministry, an unconverted ministry, is a great curse and judgment. And so unconverted ministers, teachers, elders, and church members, uh, if they're unconverted, they're unregenerate, and they do not have the Spirit of God. They're without the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and consequently, they lead the church away from God and away from the word of God. They couldn't help but do otherwise, because without the spirit, we are ungodly, even though we might profess and, and say that we are godly. So whenever, particularly whenever we consider uh, a man, we don't consider women for the ministry because the Bible tells us that's forbidden. Uh, whenever we consider a man for the ministry or office or office in the church, uh, the first thing we must do, as much as is humanly possible, is to, t- to determine, to be as certain as we can, or at least to inquire about this, is to make certain that that man, these men, have been born of the Spirit of God. Because if they haven't been born again, they're a great danger and threat to the church. Like I said, it's the challenge. Uh, because you and I can't see into the heart of another human being. But as we study Jude 16 through 19 this morning, I pray that that God will give us more discernment as we uh, seek to evaluate these things and to determine when is a person really devoid of the Spirit, and how do we know these things, and uh, and also to be convinced of the great necessity of church leaders, and, and especially preachers, Uh, to be truly born of God. Jesus said it. He said, you must be born again. Uh, First thing we want to look at in the passage today, uh, three points today, and the first one is these ungodly, unspiritual men are identified by the fact that they are grumblers and complainers. Verse 16, they're grumblers and complainers, walking according to their own lust, and so on. Uh, so how do you know, what are some of the signs that someone is ungodly and without the Spirit? Well, certainly they are characterized by this grumbling, murmuring, and complaining attitude. Uh, and and there, for an example of this, all we have to do is go back to the Old Testament and remember the Israelites. Uh, how they grumbled and complained, and Numbers 14:2 says, "And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron." Uh, and the whole congregation said to them, "If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in the wilderness." Right? Woe is me. Um, and Numbers 14:27 indicates that their complaining was not really against Moses and Aaron, but against God. All are complaining rises up before God. You know that, right? And and so God condemned that whole generation in the wilderness. Those who were 20 years old and older were not into the promised land, but would die in the desert. James 5, verse 9 in the New Testament likewise warns us. James says, Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So, God doesn't take lightly (laughs) murmuring, grumbling, and complaining, does He? Uh, uh, Author Michael Green notes that whenever a man or a woman uh, gets out of touch with God, he is likely to begin complaining about something. All right? If you catch yourself complaining, catch someone else complaining, uh, you know, just as a a way, you know, they're just, just always complaining. Probably. They have wandered from God if they claim to be Christians. Uh, but some who call themselves Christians, uh, they murmur against the providence of God. Uh, you see, that's what when we complain, we're complaining about God and his providence uh, being you know how it falls out in our lives. We're not content with the way God has dealt with us in life. Some are angry at everything that happens around them. Why is that? Why do we get upset about things that, go, uh, that don't go our way? Um, and we find fault with everything and everyone. It's prized because we think we're better, that we deserve better. And so the ungodly, there are those who do not show God the reverence and respect uh, that is due to him. And, and so this lack of respect for God leads to grumbling and complaining. And each one of us needs to examine our own hearts. Nagging wives need to consider this. Harsh and fault-finding husbands need to think about this matter. Because God hates grumbling and complaining. It's a symptom of a deeper spiritual problem. It's bad. But because it's coming out of of, of a spiritual... A heart issue and in the worst case as as, this, as is the case with these men in the book of Jude uh, it is a symptom of not having the spirit For for some of us it might be a symptom of not walking in the spirit it may not mean in an absolute sense that we don't have the spirit but certainly those who don't have the spirit we can say that's one of the characteristics that they always have is that they are fault-finding, grumblers, and complainers. But next, Jude goes on and he mentions that they walk according to their own lusts. And the word lust here simply means desire of any kind. Uh, and we usually associate the word lust with only with sexual sin, but it, it's much broader than that. It certainly includes sexual uh, desire. But it's really talking about people who live, uh, a, quote, a desire-driven life. They are living by their feelings. By their emotions, by their desires, instead of the commandments of God. And that describes a lot of people in our culture today. So how can you tell if someone is living a desire-driven life? Uh, How can you tell? Well, because that person is always insisting that their desires be met. And if they are not met, they get very upset about that. That happens to all of us at times. But... Uh, God has promised, you see, to meet all our needs, and he does meet all our needs. But as we know, he doesn't always promise to give us everything we want. It's good that he doesn't give us everything that we want. But the person, you see, if you or anyone lives for their own sinful desires and wants, uh, will you ever be satisfied with those? No. No. No, Uh, Dr. J. Adams concludes that only commandment driven living, obedience that one renders out of gratitude and love toward God, will bring lasting satisfaction. And so Jude goes on to say that these ungodly persons also mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. The ESV puts it this way. They are loud mouth boasters. Um. You know, nobody likes a loudmouth boaster. Well, because that's pride, and and false teachers are often that way. Uh, if you hear them preaching, that's how they preach—loudmouth boasting. Uh, they're always characterized by pride, and so genuine humility, you see, can only be produced by the indwelling Spirit of God. I can't produce it. You can't produce it. But the Spirit of God, uh, He alone. Can produce humility, and so uh, the pride of these men shows they are without the Spirit. Psalm seventy-three, six, and we read these verses last week. Uh, one of the uh, uh, included in, in the in the verses we read is verse six. Pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment, and so they boast in themselves, and they also flatter others. Uh, and why do they do that? To gain personal advantage. And there's a great difference, you see, between flattery and encouragement. We're called to encourage one another, but never to flatter one another. And we need to search our own hearts, again, about this matter. And so, you know, we're looking at the false teachers. We're, we're seeing how do we identify those who are without the Spirit. But we also have to look at ourselves and and, and so that we are kept from going uh, in that way, and Job 32:21 teaches us to pray. Here's what do we what do we do about it? Well, we can pray and ask the Lord and say, "Let me not, I pray, show partiality to anyone; let, nor let me flatter any man. Lord, deliver me uh, from these sinful characteristics of these ungodly church leaders." But beginning in verse 17, Jude tells us secondly what we can do about this, and that is to remember the word of God spoken by the apostles. He said, you, beloved, but you, anytime you see that little word, B-U-T, pay close attention, but you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so far... Jude has really laid into these false teachers. He kind of it's like week after week. We're just you know he just keeps hitting them and hammering them, and and he and he condemns them and consigns them to the judgment of God. But there's always a godly remnant in the church, uh, even in its weakest moments. Uh, there's always the, there are always a group who have not bowed the knee to Baal. But so now Jude begins to address. His friends, and to and, and to exhort them, uh, to address those who haven't gone over to the dark side, and and they would need encouragement, and that's what he's doing here. And you and I need encouragement uh, to stand firm and to keep contending for the faith. And, and in contending for the faith, the first thing that helps us is to remember, to remember. The word of God. But in the Bible, remembering uh, is usually, almost always, a good thing. There are, there are exceptions. Uh, and forgetting is almost always a bad thing. Uh, and, and depends on what you're remembering and forgetting, but uh, we can be thankful that God remembers our sin no more, that he forgets it and puts it behind him. But uh, in the Bible... Remembering is usually a good thing. In fact, we, the greatest thing we need to remember is God Himself, His blessings to us. Uh, in Deuteronomy 8, there's great uh, warnings about, you know, when they are going to enter the promised land and have all these blessings that come to them there that they didn't do anything to get, they just took it over. Um, they, would have, they were warned not to forget God. So we need to remember the blessings, especially the blessing of salvation that we have in the Lord. And in this case, says, remember the words that were spoken by the apostles. Uh, the apostles were the men that God uh, ordained and used to write down the words of the Lord in the New Testament. Uh, and, uh, and those that the apostles authorized, like Jude. Uh, but it's never, never a good thing to forget the Word of God. I, I remember in another church an elder uh, who should have never been an elder He used to say, well, I think, you know, we can read the Bible too much, you know, that that would not be a good thing to read too much of the Bible. And I just would shake my head and, how did this man ever get into the office? But... Uh, It's never good to forget the Word of God. We need to hide it in our hearts, the psalmist says. To store it up in our minds, Proverbs says. And specifically, Jude urges him to remember the words spoken by the apostles. And and the particular thing that they spoke that he wants them to remember, he says, the apostles told you, remember this, mockers will come in the last time. They will walk according to their ungodly lusts. It was predicted that they would come on the scene in the last time. And they would mock and scoff at the things of God. Well, go to Second Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, where one of the apostles said that very thing. Knowing this first of all, Peter said, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. And they will say, where is the promise of God? Of his coming, Don't be surprised. They are going to come. They will come. They have come. Don't be surprised when they do come. Uh, because this only shows that we are in the last time. Uh, and during this period, and I believe the last time really refers to the time between the first and second comings of Christ, that will intensify, of course, uh, during the last days of the last time, um, but Jude had predicted these false prophets uh, would appear. Jesus, before him, predicted they would come and, if possible, deceive even the elect. You see, we've been warned. And uh, we need to remember warnings. We, we, we are apt to forget warnings. Right? I, I do this all the time. I'll read something about something I should be doing for my health. I, why well, I, well, I really need to do this or not do that. And then... A few days later, it's, like, it's gone like I never read it. You know, uh, you know, I just keep eating sugar, 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 or whatever that I'm not supposed to eat. Uh, so we need to remember the warnings. And 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 what? You know, we shouldn't be caught off guard, and often we are. We're shocked. We're shocked when we see people mock God, but we shouldn't be. Right? We should be saddened. We should be grieved. But we shouldn't be sh- shocked. Uh, Jesus said it's going to happen. Jude said it's going to happen. The apostles said it would happen. And today in our culture, we see, uh, I think, uh, this mocking of the Christian faith, mocking of Christians, mocking of Christ himself on the rise. And you may have heard about an incident with the Los Angeles Dodgers (laughs) recently. Uh, They have special nights, right? And this is Pride Month, Pride and Perversion Month. And, uh, they, they had a group, they hosted a group called the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence at one of their recent ball games. At first they, they, they canceled them and then they brought them back. But, uh, and this, this is a group of drag performers who mock Christianity, particularly the Catholic faith, but they're mocking Christianity, they're mocking Christ, and, and, and it's, it's an over, you know, it's a, it's a sexualization of, of Jesus and uh, other figures. Well, one thing I'm thankful for is that uh, one of our senators from South Carolina, he's a candidate for president, happens to be a candidate, Tim Scott, he's a Christian. And he came out publicly condemning the, the Los Angeles Dodgers for what they were doing because he said no one should be allowed publicly to condemn the Christian faith. And, and, uh, and he, said it, he called it shameful and disgusting. He said certainly you would never do this with the, the Muslim faith. Uh, but people feel liberty to do it with Christianity. And I'm also thankful, I just read about this uh, yesterday, I think, but that many people um, were led to protest at the stadium, and when these these drag performers performed, there was only like a handful of people in the stadium that nobody went. So uh, that's encouraging. But, but remember, Jesus said this kind of mocking uh, would happen, and we might understand certainly that a baseball team, a woke baseball team, and they're all woke today. Woke corporations would would be into this kind of thing. Uh, but we shouldn't be surprised either to find it in the church. To find it in the church. A recent headline in the Daily Caller said, Churches embrace Pride Month with Drag Queen Story Hour, Queer Proms, and Gay Concerts. Churches embrace do these things? Hundreds of churches around our country are celebrating uh Month with these uh, awful things. And 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 what the article said that they they celebrate these uh, drag shows and and you know queer proms and, and events to help liberate themselves quote from the Bible as a weapon of exclusion. The Bible is a word of exclusion. It's a word of exclusion to the ungodly and to the unrepentant, to the unbeliever. It includes anyone who will come to Christ. The whosoever uh, turns from their sin and comes to Christ, none will be excluded. But those who want uh, certainly uh, are excluded. And so these mockeries of the Christian faith, uh, Jude said, you know, they're just walking according to their own ungodly lusts. Well, a recent study showed that that 45% of people who identify as LBGTQ also consider themselves uh, moderately or highly religious. In other words, half of these people consider themselves religious, and yet they're really mocking the faith. Their religion is idolatry. They're serving their own ungodly lust. Uh, So the churches that celebrate Gay pride and and the the morass of perversion have failed to heed the the warnings of the book of Jude. These are people who are devoid of the spirit. They have no discernment. They can't because they don't know Christ. They haven't been born uh, again. You see the importance of the new birth. Um, And and, and, uh, these things are wicked. They have always been so in the sight of God and they always will be. That's why I urge you to never give in to uh, the wickedness of the age, whatever form it takes. It'll take different forms in uh, you know, ten years from now, it'll look different than it does today, uh, but never, ever give in to these things. And we must remember that and the way we do this is to continue to remember the word of God. The prophet Jeremiah said, "Thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see." And ask for the old paths, where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your soul. So we need to ask God to show us the old paths and to stay in those old paths of faith and to resist the demonic pressures uh, to, cave, to cave into those who would have us to do so. Um, and may the Lord give us grace to examine our own hearts. Uh, are there ungodly lusts, desires in our own hearts? We need to repent of those. We can't just, you know, pronounce uh, judgment and and rail against those outside the church. We have to look at our own lives. So, thirdly, thirdly and lastly from our passage, we see that these people are indeed without the Spirit. Verse 19, he concludes, These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. Uh, They are sensual persons. And what does that mean? Uh, What is a sensual person? The word really is one that refers to one who lives by base desires, following their sensual nature, their appetites and passions. Uh, One translation says they're following their lower nature. Another says they are natural men. Again, they're without the Spirit. Uh, They're not led by the Spirit because they don't possess the Spirit. And, And until a person is born again of God, regenerated, uh, they are dominated by the desires of the flesh, by the desires of their lower nature. Romans eight seven we read earlier that says the carnal mind, the fleshly mind, uh, is at is enmity with God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. And these men are also known in the in the church uh, as those who cause divisions. Well, they really. Uh, are causing division. They, they divide families. They divide churches. They divide communities, and ultimately nations. But in the church, they create schisms and factions, and they split the church. They the, the word there is that they separate themselves, uh, and they they gather a, a group to follow them, and then they pit themselves against the rest. So they divide, you see, and, and so. We need to be on guard against this in the church. Titus 3 tells us how to deal with a divisive person in the church. Someone's trying to uh, divide the church and separate the people of God. What do you do with such a person? Uh, Titus says, Reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition. You warn them. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. So if they don't heed those two warnings, then you reject them. You put them out of the church. You don't, allow, you don't allow it, right? You do not allow it. You tell them to leave. Tell them to repent in love. But you tell them to get out. And you put them out. And that's how you deal with them. Well, those who divide churches and split families, they're, again, they're devoid of the Spirit. And, and and this is the main reason for all the ungodliness in the church, all the divisions and splits and all the the, the perversion that enters in, uh, it's because people have come particularly into leadership who didn't know Christ. Who weren't born again. And, and though we can't see into the heart of another human being, we, we can see what describes their behavior and their attitudes and their ways like Jude has described for us. God alone knows the heart of another person. Uh, and so in a sense, we make functional judgments. We can't make the judgment of, of God as he can because he has all knowledge of all things. But, but considering what Jude has said in this book, if someone is characterized by all the things, not just in these verses today, but the whole book of Jude, we can safely say this person has not been born again or indwelt by the spirit. Think about the parable uh, that Jesus taught. We call it the parable of the sower. And there's the analogy, you know, a sower goes forth to sow a seed and, and and what happens to the seed, some of it you know, doesn't turn out very well. Uh, some bears fruit, but others not. And uh, the seed's the word of God. The sower is the preacher of the word. In Matthew 13, 20, Jesus said, He who received the seed on stony places is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself. But endures only for a little while. Uh, and and uh, so there's this temporary response to the word. And it, it appears like these people have really been born again, even. Uh, but it doesn't last. And and uh, and so they fall away. But why do they fall away? Because Jesus said they have no root in them. Matthew Poole says that the root is a principle of grace in the heart. Uh, truly touched with the love of God and his truth. Matthew Henry says they're not by faith united to Christ, who is our root. And then Spurgeon says that this person has no root in himself, no principle, no hold of the truth with a renewed heart. They haven't been born again. They don't have the spirit. They can't endure. Uh, You know, people can fake the Christian faith. People can look like Christians on the outside. Uh, but they won't last if it's not real, if, if, if they haven't been born of the Spirit of God. And, and in Luke's Gospel, Jesus says they believe for a time. Uh, it gives all the appearance of true faith for a time, but they don't endure. Now those who have true faith may drift for a time, but it's only for a time, because they always repent, and they continue on to follow Christ. But those who have a false faith may believe for a time, but it won't last. Uh, so, does the Holy Spirit dwell in your heart? That's the question that we need to, to, to end with here today. Does the Holy Spirit dwell in your own heart? Have you been born of God? Do you have a true faith? Or is, is it really a false and temporary faith? How do you know if you have the Spirit? Well, let's just look at Ephesians 1.3. It says, in Him you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. It's as simple as this. If you've heard the gospel and truly and sincerely believed it in your heart and received Christ, then you have been sealed with the spirit. You are now indwelt with the spirit. So if you've received Christ, then you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. If you believe that he died on the cross. And was raised from the dead, and that he's Lord, you confess him as your Lord, then you then you have the Holy Spirit. And remember this: when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in your heart, he changes your life. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so you and I must be born again. Those are Jesus' words. And if our profession of faith is not matched by a changed life, I didn't say a perfect life, but a changed life, then we need to go back and question whether we have the root in us. So the message of the Bible and the message of the book of Jude is this, that we need to make certain of our own lives that we've been born of the Spirit, that we have the Spirit, and also the evidence of the fruit of God's Spirit Uh, In our lives. In addition, we need to stress the powers that be in the church need to stress the the importance of the new birth in the life of uh, of anyone who claims to to be part of the church and especially uh, that church leaders. We stress that church leaders need to be regenerate and, of course, to have the character uh, and life to prove it. And, you know, Titus and First Timothy uh, bear that out. And if they are ungodly, if they turn out to be ungodly, maybe we can be fooled. We can uh, and, and, and we're not infallible judges. Uh, but we, uh, we deal with them. <laughs> we don't allow it uh, to continue if, if we see this ungodliness rear its head. So pray for your leaders. Pray for your pastor for godliness and sincere faith. And godly character, and of course, faithful biblical teaching. Uh, these are all things that we that we need to pray for. And if there's ungodliness, uh, those persons can only expect the judgment of God unless they repent. There is always room for repentance, but it doesn't always come. And so we continue to preach the necessity of the new birth. Um, Al Martin uh, preached a series of uh, 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 preached a message on. Uh, truths that lead to revival. And I remember listening to it on cassette tape years ago, and he said one of the key truths that always comes when there's revival is to the proclamation of the necessity of the new birth. And we need to revive that teaching today. And we must not allow those who are without the Spirit to lead in the church of God. Let's pray. Thank you, dear God, for your holy, inspired, and their infallible, authoritative, life-giving Word. It is, uh, it is to us life. It is to us uh, everything, because otherwise we are lost. Otherwise we have no discernment. Otherwise we know nothing, uh, but that we're condemned and we're in sin. But thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, the Redeemer of God's elect who laid down his life for us, who rose again, and who has given us, along with you, Heavenly Father, you you have uh, sent the Holy Spirit uh, to regenerate us, to give us the new birth, and to indwell us. Oh, Holy Spirit, uh, take control of our hearts, our minds, our lives, our attitudes, and our actions. Deliver us from false teachers. Deliver your church from false teachers. And Lord, may uh, your... Your will be done in our lives as we seek to stand firm and contend for the faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let us now turn and close uh, with the hymn uh, of consecration. Breathe on me, breath of God. If being without the Spirit is the curse of the church, then being filled with the Spirit is the blessing of the church. Let's stand.